This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, everybody. Carm Capriato, Aftermarket Weekly with my friend Tom Palermo. Hello, Tom. Hey, Carm. How you doing? I'm great, buddy. Preferred automotive specialists, Philadelphia, PA. The city of brotherly love. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> A lot of crazy things going on down there, but we shall not talk about that right now. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Tracy and I have been to your place. Had a fabulous tour. A lot of fun. Hung out with you and Joe. And if I recall, Tracy was driving some kind of little funny kitty car, wasn't she? Yes, I had my son's power wheels that he got when he was, I don't know, three or four. We finally decided to get rid of it. He's 14 now, so obviously he hasn't fit in a long time. And she, however, did fit in it. If I remember correctly, there was a Facebook post about that being one of my loaner cars. So I might have to get that thing insured and get a number on it. Oh, so. <laughs> that was great. Tom and I are going to do a Q&A. You're going to just love some of the things that, number one, I'm going to ask. And number two, uh, what Tom's going to say about certain things. This is a show that we so appreciate the support that we get from Dorman Training coming to you live on tape from sometimes I call my Carm Cave. It's the Dorman Training Studio. Automotive technologies of today and tomorrow demand that professional technicians continuously maintain and grow their knowledge and skill sets. If one does not update, they will evaporate. Mastering the changing technologies, adapting new and more efficient testing techniques, and exploring new tooling and equipment applications are just a few challenges. Dorman Training is dedicated to providing the latest information and proven service and repair tips brought to you by some of the nation's best instructors in the company of some of the nation's best technicians. Dorman has been a leader in driving new product solutions for the automotive aftermarket for more than a century. With DormanTrainingCenter.com, we also deliver the technical training and insight service professionals need to further their careers and stay current. The automotive industry constantly evolves with technical advancements, making it crucial for technicians to stay updated with the latest trends and techniques. By undergoing comprehensive training, aspiring technicians will equip themselves with the necessary skills and knowledge to excel in their field. In addition to personal technical training throughout the United States, Dorman Training Center delivers online training modules covering a wide variety of topics with new resources rolling out regularly. Whatever your role or experience, you can find helpful information on DormanTrainingCenter.com. Dorman Technical Training covers many of today's advanced automotive systems, including hybrid EV, driver assistance, diagnostics, emission, and complex electronics. Created for working service professionals and taught by ASE certified instructors, classes are held as lunch and learns in the evenings and weekends at on-site locations as well as available on demand. Bring your knowledge to the next level at DormanTrainingLive.com. Hey, thank you so much, Dorman. You know, Tom, I'm sure you could uh, not get by by hanging out with some people, some peers, 20 group, networking. Hey, so how's business? How far are you booked out? What's going on? What's happening with inflation? Can you give me the 30-second view of what you would say that's going on at Palermo's? So I would say at this point, when we had this conversation, there's nowhere to park on my parking lot. <laughs> and, you, and you remember, I have that giant parking lot behind the shop. We're basically situated on an acre, so we are just completely swamped. I attribute it to a lot of things. We've been here now in this location probably for about six years or so, so we're very well established. We're not too far away from where our old shop was, so we brought a lot of our clientele with us. But we've kind of become the go-to shop for diagnostic and, you know, things like that. So that's one part of it. But really, what I think what's driving it is the average age of a vehicle is still increasing. 
surprisingly. I remember, gosh, probably six years ago or so, seven years ago, I was on the Napa Auto Care Council and the big number was 12.3 years. And that was huge. I mean, everybody was going on and on and on about that. And it's still climbing to this day. And I think the reason for that is because of the inflationary times we're in, people that maybe would have got rid of a car and gone out and purchased a new car or saying, I don't want the car payment. I don't want the increased insurance costs. I already have this vehicle. I know it. Even if they were going to go for a slightly used car, a couple years old, they're thinking, I'm trading the devil. I know for the devil, I don't. So we have a lot of people that are hanging on to vehicles way past 12 years. I mean, with 12, I haven't seen the average number in a while, but it's got to be closing in on 13. And for that to be the average, that means there are people out there with 20-year-old cars. Sure, there's a cycle going on, there's no doubt. We live in roller coasters. Sometimes it's a 10-year roller coaster cycle ride. But right now, there are some shops that are saying, you know, I used to be booked out further and, and I'm not. But getting back to basics in my mind is bringing the commitment of you into the business. What is your challenge or your success rate or your strategy to get the commitment from your team? And I got this from my dad. I've always been a kind of lead from the front kind of guy. I think that really motivates employees when they see that there's nothing you're ever going to ask anybody to do that you're not willing to do yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be in the trenches. We always have that mantra as as shop owners, we're on the business, not in it. However, It's not a bad idea to pencil a day or two a month or maybe depending on your situation, a day or two a week to go out on the shop floor, spend a half a day out there, do some ride ride along with your techs, do some road tests, help people up front with customers, get involved and make sure they see that you're you're actively participating in your own business. I think when you do that, it kind of reinforces the fact that the majority of us are family businesses in one way, shape or form. Whether it's multi-generational businesses or just somebody who just started a business, you treat your employees like family because really in the end, they, they become part of your family. You know, when they hurt, you hurt. When they do well, you do well. So if you have that kind of culture in your shop and you adapt yourself to the shop and really make yourself part of the mold there, I think it makes your team want to succeed more and makes them want to push forward. And then when you try to institute something like, for instance, we're a big fleet shop, we do a lot of fleet work. What that means is we're working on a lot of different kinds of vehicles. And for some technicians, that can be difficult because sometimes they they don't want to break out of their comfort zone. But if you're giving them the ask to, hey, break out of your comfort zone, we have this vehicle nobody we've never seen before we want to look at, we want to do this, or fleet equipment, like now we're coming into the wintertime, so snow plow, snow equipment, things like that. Facility or uh, grounds equipment, maybe, that a fleet of, say, from a university or some kind of a school district might have. If you're doing two things here. One, you're getting your guys out of your comfort zone. They're learning new things. With that comes the training, all that kind of stuff. But also what you're doing is you're endearing yourself to your customer because you become that one-stop shop to be able to provide them with service for everything they need. So in the end, really all it turns into is this is the tool that they use to get their problem solved when it comes to their vehicles, whether it's a bus or a golf cart on a, you know, on a, on a grant for a grounds person that that's handling landscaping or something. As Tom held up a smartphone. Yeah. Sometimes they're smart. (laughs) (laughs) You're sitting down, Tom, with a potential hire. You're looking to hire. Is the ad, does the ad specifically talk about fleet heavy duty that you're looking for an individual that can really go from a small little car up to a, an EV and SUV up to damn buses that I've seen you have? 
Yeah. So sometimes we do have ads that are out there specifically targeting that. But generally, I'll be honest with you, the most success we have with ads are just your generic technician ad. Most technicians, when they come in, and again, this goes a lot to, they can sense your culture when they walk through the door, even for an interview, even just for five seconds. You know, you walk into a place, and I'm sure you've experienced this before, you can tell what's going on there. Oh, yeah. doesn't matter what business. Right? doesn't matter whether you go to a restaurant, a shop. So what we do is, and what we found to be successful is cross-training our people. There are people that come to us that start off as, hey, look, and I work at a dealership. I know to work on a specific brand of vehicle, but I want to learn. I want to do this. I want to do that. And, and we build a team environment to make it so that these guys already working on these vehicles, who most of them started out not working on, are motivated to help these other technicians come along and get them into the fold. And then they're where they're going to end up is where they're going to end up as far as what level they're going to be and what their capabilities are and talents and things like that. But we always push culture and learning and training and things of that nature. ASE is a big tool that we, we like to use for motivating our people to help each other and to help themselves in the end, really. Uh, when I have somebody come in, if they don't have ASE certifications already, we'll get them started in that process. And sometimes I do small training sessions after work with these guys to help them with test prep and things like that to help them move along and, and gain that certification. But what also ends up happening is, is my guys that already have ASE certifications, they stay and they help. And so we turn it into a team building event. You know, I get a couple of pizzas after work, hang out. The, the technician's gonna have a test in a couple of days, a week, something like that. And we kind of help them out. So that builds camaraderie. It builds that culture. Great. What kind of training classes are you getting for your people or or do they want to go to? We do a lot of different things for training. So we're using, we're an app auto care full disclosure. We use Napa AutoTech. They're great. Their onlining, their LMS system is really good. Their in-person class are great. You know, my tech's like going there. Hey, by the way, I was talking to Scott Cachetta from Napa AutoTech training at ASTE this past weekend, and he says they're totally upgrading their LMS, the learning management system. So he said anybody who has had a legacy LMS of late has all realized that they all need to have some kind of upgrade to make it quicker, better, faster, and more comprehensive. So it's, it's great news to hear that so many people are upgrading their LMSs. But I'm sorry, didn't mean to interrupt, but that was news. It was news, yeah. Yeah, I saw the email drop, I think it was last week or the week before that they were going to be releasing a major update, which is good. Training, just like anything else, evolved. What was it, data evaporate, I think is what you had on your doorman. That's right. A great quote from my friend G. Trulia. Yeah, update or... G's a great guy. I wrote that down because it's really true. Kind of always been that way in this business. There's a lot of people that are worried about electric vehicles and that if electric vehicles hit the road. Uh, Wait a minute. Is the consumer worried or is the industry that fixes them like you worried? Because I don't think the name worry, the word worry is the right word. There's a, how about concern? Yeah, because concern means I'm paying attention. I'm going to embrace when the time is right concept. And if you've not repaired hybrids, then shame on you in the last, what, dozen, 15 years? I don't know how long they've been out. And this is where I was going with that. You, you read my mind. So the consumer's concern or worry, whatever, whichever way you want to put it, things like range, cost, ease of repair, you know, availability of repair, things like that. The technician is, is concerned or there's still going to be cars to fix because there, there's kind of this aura around them sometimes that they're just never going to break. We all know that that's... All right, look, there's a lot less moving parts. We know that. Yeah. So if you believe your business is existing with, pick the number, X amount of clients in the database and you're losing 20%, growing 20% a year because that's just the evolution of life of a customer, you're 
going to have to have, rumor has it, at least 10 times or more customers in your database if we all go EV someday. Because, yes, we understand there's a lot less moving parts. But I did a great episode at ASTE with Seth Seth Thorson. And Seth is, if you will, one of our industry's Tesla guys. He embraced them years ago, tore them apart. I mean, he brought a Tesla to ASTE, an all-day-long seminar. He's got some great things to say in, in a future episode on Tesla. But one of the things that I've learned about EVs of late, and of course, it's a lifestyle, and we're, we're concerned about how far we're going to go on a, on a tank, if you will. But one of the things that Seth was saying to me, Tom, your opinion is needed here, is, my God, I've got a Tesla. I bring it in the garage. I plug it in each and every night. And he says it would be like topping off the tank with fuel every night by going home and plugging it in. And I never really thought that through. Now, if I was going to go out on a trip, I was going to travel 500 miles, I may have to stop somewhere along the way and do a little charge. But it's a lifestyle. People learn how to accept and live with it. Absolutely. And I, I think what will happen in, in our industry is as they become more prominent, and they certainly have, a, no matter where you fall on the whole EV, some people are really, really for them. Some people are really, really against them. Most people are somewhere in the middle. They have a place in the fleet. But when I say fleet, I mean all the vehicles. In the road. car park. Yeah. yeah. There's places where they make, they just make sense. If you can do it, you can work out, you know, whatever little bugs you might have. It makes sense. There's other places where there might be other alternatives that people seek out. But to your point, what you said earlier, which is very important, which is where I was going with what I was, as far as the technician or the shop owner was concerned. Listen, we've been working on high voltage systems for decades. The first hybrid was out 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. So high voltage systems are really nothing new to the industry. I think the difference now is integration of that, of the electric, of the high voltage and the rest of the car into that is where we are starting to see some major, major differences. That's a training issue. It's a training issue. And just like anything else that's happened in the automotive industry, if you go back 50 years, you can see all these demarcation points where people have said, oh no, they came out with an electric ignition. We'll never have to do a tune-up again. Put computers in cars. Oh, they're putting computers in cars now. We're never going to have all these different points where we had these huge technological advances. There was always this concern that there was going to be some issue as far as repairing them or flow of work or whatever. What usually ended up happening is our jobs changed. What we worked on and what was breaking and what was what we needed to know as an industry was changing. So the way you handle that is simple. It's training. You get trained up. You start to see the trends and that's already happening and the market will adjust itself accordingly. Now, if you're not willing to do that and you're not willing to train, you, you know, then, yeah, you might have a problem on your. I have to tell you, I took some time out of the studio, started to walk around and look at my friends who were teaching classes between business management and technology, bumped into Isaac Rodell's class on EVs. And my mind became Swiss cheese in just the 15 minutes that I was there listening. And I was so proud of all the people that were in that room getting their uptake and learning and taking notes. I was wondering where the other 700,000 technicians were that needed to be there. <laughs> uh, being facetious, you know that I can be like that, but Apex, Vision, ASTE, ATE, the TST big event, Dorman training now, we can't get enough of it. It is something that we have to embrace and be there. And the thing that I love about this new tech training that's going on is you just can't get enough of it. Different trainers, different classes, different venues, the uptake, you've got to learn so, so much 
especially in the respect of the electricity piece. I've just heard from some shops recently that are about ready to put together some private e-training for their teams. They got bigger companies and people are going to locally invest and maybe spend as just as much money as if they put someone on a car or in a plane and pay for the hotel and all the food by bringing someone in. But then think of how intimate that training ends up being. To your point, yeah. This First of all, the safety aspect, I think before we continue with this, I think one of the main focuses that people need to have as far as training goes initially is the same that they had with hybrids, which is safety. That has to be the first thing that you're teaching because that's the foundation for where you go from there. ASE has some really good certification, well, not certification, but they are great and they cover a lot of ground and they really open your eyes to some things. And as a shop owner, really should look at that because there's probably some equipment that you need if you're going to start looking at these vehicles putting that to the side. I think that what people are starting to realize, particularly training institutions, is that the thing that technicians have been kind of clamoring for for a very long time, and shop owners, is that, to your point, that intimate, hands-on kind of training where we're actually, we're not just sitting in a class processing information, we're actually putting our hands on it, we're actually seeing it, we're watching things change, we're doing what we have. To. I think that kind of training is really what's always been needed in this industry. That's just how do you make it happen? But now we have no choice. This is the way it needs to be because when you sit in a classroom, you can pick up a lot. But as a former technician myself, when you put your hands on something, you'll never forget it. You'll never forget. You may not see every little thing you learn in training, but you'll remember what you did. You'll remember what you put your hands on and, and the wheels will start turning and you'll begin applying that knowledge that you already have and that hands-on capability to whatever problem you're looking at. I agree. Thank you for that. I think to always hear from an owner to the importance of new training, new technology, the new ASE certifications, I always so enjoy this. You and I have done 13 episodes together. Is it really 13? 13. I know we did a bunch, yeah. Your dad, Joe, great guy. Love your dad. And he came on with, it was you, Brett Beachler, and Gary Pontius Jr. did an episode with the three sons and then the three dads got in. I've recently done another one where two sons and two dads. And I got to tell you, it was refreshing to hear from you guys from, you know, those two different perspectives. But one of the episodes that you did, which I really liked and I thought was eye-opening, was called Your Zero Dollar Customers. You may remember that. It was back in 20. 2023 years ago, it was episode 511 of your revelation. Hey, I moved to a new place and I started to look at the customers who were kind of checking on us and saying, my knee hurts. What should I do? Don't go like this. And then the invoice was created. There's no dollars on it, or at least you're giving estimates or you're not getting any work. I still think that can be relative or relevant today. You still looking at them? So we still do monitor that. It's virtually eliminated at this point. What that was born out of was when we monitor productivity, we try to see who's doing what. We try to adjust certain technicians into certain areas. We want to try to see if maybe, hey, this person needs we could use it as a training tool, actually, to try to say, okay, whenever we give this technician this job, there's this productivity. So here's an area where we need to focus with that technician. But the way it started was, to be quite honest with you, and if somebody wants to go back and listen to the episode, it was eye-opening for me. We basically had people coming in to have us diagnose their cars, and then they would take it somewhere else and get fixed. That was basically what was going on. That has changed. I think part of the reason it changed was it was pre-COVID, if I'm not mistaken. 2020, it, I think it was, yeah. Okay, so it was probably right before that, or right as it was happening, when it kicked off. I think two things happened throughout that period of, of three years. We had shops that were doing that that kind of fell off to the wayside, and we also had customers that started to understand the value of a good shop. 
before you'll recall, we were having conversations about internet pricing for parts and things of that nature and how it was, you know, I can get it here for that and I can get it here for that. What we were able to do, and I think what a lot of shops in the industry, to be completely honest with you, because it become, became such a focus was, we're able to explain why our service is so valuable. It's not just about the cost of the bill. And I mean, I've been saying this for, I don't even know how long now. We are in a business that repairs vehicles, but really in the end, we're in a relationship business. So as we build those relationships with customers and it becomes evident and customers, whether they know it or not, are looking for that relationship. They want somebody they could trust. They want somebody, most customers, want somebody they could trust. They want somebody that they know is going to fix their vehicle, right? And I think after we made it through that whole, I can get it here for this and I can get it here for that, or this guy's going to do this, this guy's going to do that, people started to realize, hey, usually you get what you pay for. So when I make this investment in my vehicle that I want to hold on to, and particularly now for a longer period of time, because I can't afford a new car. I don't want to buy a new car. I don't let, I want to go to somebody who's actually going to value my relationship and be technically proficient. Yeah, CRM, are you doing anything special with that? Sure, we do. We have, we're doing your standard, your standard CRM stuff. We will do out, do the email blast. We do things like that. We are, for our private customers, remember, I'm a fleet, we do a lot of fleet work. So for our private customers, we do the standard, you know, how is our service? You know, how do we do? What do you think? What would you suggest? You know, that kind of stuff. We actually are doing some follow-up phone calls in person. We'll have somebody actually pick up the phone and, and dial and talk to the customer because, you know, let's face it, sometimes you You've seen, I'm sure your inbox is probably inundated with just junk. I try to minimize that junk, Tom, but sometimes I'm curious, let it go for a little bit and find out if, well, this email didn't quite work, but that one did. But I try to keep it clean because to your point, it is pretty heavy. One thing we do is we try to identify who, both on the fleet and the private customer side, who are our most valued customers. I don't want to say that there are customers that we don't value that doesn't ring right, ring true. But you know, there are customers that are top tier gold customers, if you will. We try to do some special things for them. We're doing a challenge coin promotion with them where we'll send them a coin that, that has a QR code on a back and it links them to special deals that we have. That's kind of clever. Where'd you get that one? You made it yourself? We just kind of brainstormed it and came up with it ourselves. Yeah. What a cool idea. Yeah, it's working pretty well. We have thresholds that we use for that because we want to make that a special item for our customers. Come around Christmas time, you know, we have our, again, our top tier customers will send them something out we did a birthday thing and you know all that but and because we do fleet work we're so communicative with our fleets when it comes to their vehicles we do maintenance scheduling for some of our fleets that kind of stuff so we're in touch with them a lot so we have there's a very good relationship and i can tell you this so crm everybody says well all right i send out some mailers do they work well you got this return you got that return email blast do they work i can tell that what we do works with our fleets because I have seen fleet managers that have been promoted or maybe switched jobs or something like that. And then the fleet stays with us, even with a new fleet manager, because they feel comfortable with us and they know that we're looking out for their best interests and we're trying to provide the best service. That's so interesting to always have to put up with the building the no like and trust with a new fleet manager. I can't imagine, Tom, that could be a, a rocky road, but the relationship is so strong that uh, you say you're keeping, what, 90%? Yeah, give or take. Listen, you're going to have attrition. We've had really, really good fleet customers. There are dangers to doing flight. There are concerns when you do fleet work and you have to take these into consideration if you're going to really 
jump off the deep end and do this happens to be one of them people get promoted people move people get new jobs people do that so you spend all this time building up relationships with these people and now there's somebody new when that happens should that happen where let's say it's somebody new we basically treat it like it's a brand new fleet now we know we know the particulars about what they prefer and how they like to be built and what all those kind of particulars but we have a meeting with the new manager usually a lot of times the old manager will kind of do the introductions to try to bridge that gap if you will we basically approach it from our perspective as it's a brand new fleet. So we go, we make sure we're jumping through hoops, going out of our way to do what we have. And you invite them over? Invite them over, whatever they prefer. Sometimes they're on the other side of the country. I mean, there's some fleets we have where the fleet manager is just not local. It's managed by in another town. Are you guys listening to phone calls? Yes. So part of, we use Kikui for our website and our marketing and things like that. So they have the the listener on there and somebody calls in on that. We can monitor phone calls and make sure that our people are presenting. You know, they have their opening script. They have their things set up and we'll, we'll listen to, to how the calls go and how they handle objections or how they handle maybe price shopper or something like that. And we use it as a learning tool. I have to tell you, knock on wood, our team up front is really very professional, very top-notch. They know how to handle themselves and they do a great job. Have you ever sat down with any one of your service advisors with that recorded call and looked for opportunities that maybe were missed? Oh yeah. And like I said, I can tell you this, when we first started doing it, which was years ago, we had a lot of meetings. (laughs) So, you know, there was a lot of, not necessarily somebody doing anything wrong, but missed opportunities. Improvement. Always looking for improvements. Yeah. Yeah. So that really doesn't happen too much anymore as far as us having a meeting where we say, hey, you know, here's where we could do this because our team has been with us for a while and and they kind of, they got the lay of the land. Listen, every shop is different. Every shop wants their service writing team to do things their way. But when it comes to dealing with the customer, I think there's a pretty standard way for us to deal with things like price shoppers, with things like objections if you're trying to sell something. There's a lot of really good training out there. Well, for instance, the last, that is why if I may just sidebar for one second, when it comes to training, I think one of the places we're really missing the boat as an industry is service advisor training. I think we really need more service advisor training. NAPID, had one that came through our area about six, eight months ago. I sent three, four people to that training. That's an area, if any trainers are listening, that's a place where we really, really, really need some help. Absolutely. Service advisor training and coaching. And I think, in my opinion, they go hand in hand with the uh, the phone calls being listened to and then the coach coming in and always looking for that level of improvement, not catching someone doing things wrong, but catching people doing things right and building upon those. There is no doubt, Tom, I know I'm positive you agree with this. That's the one area today that I think can't stop teaching our techs and keeping them as current as possible. And I've said this along with leadership training for CEOs and managers, that front of house is so critical. So, hey, think about your people. Guess for me, unless you know, what's the retention rate of your people? I mean, 90% uh, something like that. I don't know the specific percentage. Yes. What's in your gut? Uh, My gut tells me it's between 90 and 95. I've got people that are here. There's people that uh, were here before I could drive. I, I just turned 50. So <laughs> you can you can take that for what it's worth. That's a wow. We approach this like a family. 
So we've got 23, 24 people working here. And I've got guys that are, like I said, you know, 30 plus, 25, 20, a couple that are between 15 and 20. Just going off the top of my head here. Most of the people that are here have been here for well over two or three years. We have a couple that are year in, something like that. Yeah. Let me stop and ask you that question about the year in people and the kinds of individuals that we're hiring today that have a completely different view of work-life balance and that, you know, I can't come in every day at I can come in every day at 8.15. Are you doing any hybrid? Are you accommodating any people to be sure they love coming to work, but you've also helped them deal with their issues in life as life goes on? Well, sure. I mean, if you're especially in the independent shop realm, you're going to have people that have struggles and have things like that. And we try to do the best we can to help them with that. We don't really have those kind of issues. Everybody's here when they're supposed to be here and we don't have, but there are times where things happen and people say, hey, you know, for the next couple of weeks, I got to do this or I got to do that or, you know, whatever. Of course, life happens. We understand that. We try to be as as helpful as we can. Accommodating. Yeah. We have a good relationship with our people and they kind of get that. It all goes back to culture. I mean, really, it does. And so I'm going to kind of push on the shop owners a little bit here. The way you set up your facility, the way you train your people, the way you treat your people, obviously, things, benefits. And I'm not talking about compensation now. That's a whole, you could spend two hours talking about that. What I'm talking about is are things like our shop is air conditioned. We, I don't know what your summer was like. I know you're in Buffalo. We had a pretty hot summer wasn't 100, never really got to 100, but it stayed in at 88 to 92 degrees the whole time, nasty humid. We had the air going in the shop. It was 66 every day in the shop with no humidity. It was great. Besides the productivity advantage and the fact that technicians get overheated, you know, are working at a heat wave, there are more mistakes are made and comebacks and things like that. It's just the right thing to do for these technicians. They're working hard. It's a physical job. When they walk out the door, to use it to push on that example, when they walk out the door, you know, at 530 after it's been and 95 degrees outside and they're not sweating. They're okay. You know, they walk, they walk out to their car, they drive home. When they come in the next day, they're not already exhausted from the previous day or the previous five days. Things like that. Is the shop well lit? Do you have the right tools for what you're doing? Are you keeping your equipment updated? Or are you talking to your technicians about what you need? These are things that as shop owners, we kind of take for granted. We just figure, all right, I got all this stuff. All right, guys, go do it. You got to have communications. You got to have meetings. You have to This is back to what we talked about in the beginning. Being on the shop floor is really going to give you, it could be eye-opening, where you watch, and we talked about this in a previous episode, I don't remember what it was, where we time-studied movement in the shop. You see inefficiencies, and sometimes it's just the way it is. You know, sometimes you have no choice. You've maximized it. It's just that's as good as it gets. But most of the time, you can find a better way to do things. You see your guys struggling with something. You say, there's probably a tool for that. Go get the tool. We as shop owners, we have to take that leadership role and really put ourselves out there and say, what can I do to make this better place to be? How can I make us more efficient, make your life easier? And the end result, all that is the shop's more profitable and there's the shop safer. The shop, the technicians are happy. The front end's happy. Well, however you have your business, set up. Employees see that you care, not just about the bottom line and the dollars, but you care about them and what they need to do their job. You can't pay for that. You can't. You can throw money at that all you want. It's not going to make a difference. If they feel like you don't care, it's just another job. What an incredible summary. This is just a perfect ending to a episode I'd love to almost call Catching Up with Tom Palermo. Wow. Good stuff. You can do it again in a few months if you want. <laughs> Why not? Because there's so many other things that we could cover. So thank you so much for being here. Say hello to your dad, Joe, preferred automotive specialist, Philadelphia PA. Tom, always your wisdom is so appreciated by 
not only me, but I know our listeners. And just listen to what Tom's saying. Stay on that steady road. Be out there with your people. Create an incredible culture. Train your people and air condition your shop. It works. And who would have thought all the shop owners that invested, and I know they have. There's a lot of them that have in the last couple of years. What it was like almost you saw it coming on the horizon that we were going to have, you know, one of the hottest summers ever. By the way, up here in, in the buff, August was one of our coolest months on record. I don't think we got a, a 90 degree day ever. We were probably in the mid 70s. It was a beautiful month, a lot of rain, but I'm talking to my friends all over the country. They're at 100 something. So it's that yin and yang. It happens usually everywhere where, you know, we get snow and other people that usually get snow, they don't. But the weather's the weather. You know, we tolerate it, we put up with it. But in your particular case, you planned to make, God, can that heat beat you up, right? Man, oh man. Listen, as somebody who worked in, I mean, I've worked as a technician for a long time. And our first shop that we worked, that we had was not air conditioned. It was Southern facing, which anybody who's in the Northeast and knows what that feels like in August. The first day is tough. Second day is bad. But by the time you get to day three, four or five, the technicians are, they're tired of every, they're tired of each other. They're tired of the heat. It's a debilitating, demoralizing thing. So yeah, if I could give it, anybody that's anywhere hot, air condition your shop, it'll pay for itself in about a year. But to your point, I don't want to belabor this, but the word environment, as far as the working environment that you provide, it's got to be warm enough in the winter and cool enough in the summer. Doors open on those beautiful, beautiful fall days and you just let that 65 degree, beautiful, high sun, orangey, yellow leaves. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm back. I was just floating <laughs> here because that's what we have here. We've had some incredible fall-like weather here up in the buff. So thank you, Emil. Say hello to your dad. Will do. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Tom Palermo. All right. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.